Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. This is Radio Influence. The future is now. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are happy to that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Have a guest uh, this week I've known for 20 years, a unique individual who's been done a little bit of everything. He's uh, uh, WCW, Independence, TNA, WWE a couple of times, uh, went on tour with Hulk Hogan in Australia, which hopefully we'll get some stories out of him because I heard that was madness for two weeks. Uh, and uh, I'm talking about Shannon Moore, uh, you know, got his start sort of in a th- three count, which was a Jimmy Hart creation. I'll never forget Jimmy pulling me aside and he was so excited about the green mats and the, the green circles and the music and he was singing me the the song, Jim, uh, he, uh, Jimmy's all about branding. And so any little thing he could do to brand uh, uh, a gimmick. And uh, so it will be interesting to, to see his, hear Shannon's thoughts about uh, the three count and then the company being sold to WCW and the rest of his journey. Uh, he is, uh, if you haven't seen him, you should go uh, check him out on Twitter. Uh, he's jacked. Um, so good for him. He uh, is in great shape. Covered in tattoos, and uh, apparently has done very well as an uh, uh, entrepreneur in the tattoo business. So uh, congratulations to them, and hopefully we'll talk to them about that as well. I, would, I always wondered what happened for people who have a lot of tattoos. I always wonder what happens when, you're, when you run out of space to put tattoos on. So I'm going to finally, after 53 years, I'm going to get to ask somebody that question and find out. So uh, if you always wondered that, if that was one of those things that always nod in the back of your mind, uh, all three of us, uh, uh, we're going to find out today, hopefully. Hey, uh, tonight, uh, right here in my hometown, and I actually thought about uh, rolling over there, and then I said, I remembered what Jimmy Hart told me a long time ago, uh, don't go if you're not invited. So, uh, But uh, the Raw reunion, um, they haven't had one of those in a while, and uh, Going to have uh, all the old-timers come back for the most part. And I always like those episodes, so I'll probably watch that one live, or at least I'll watch it. Uh, I haven't really watched a lot of WWE lately. Uh, I did watch some. I'm watching a little bit of the Kevin Owens uh, uh, doing the uh, Stone Cold on Shane McMahon type thing. And um, it's I say it's different. It's been done before, but it's different. And, you know, uh, the the... That's the biggest, serious form of flattery if you could get somebody over doing what a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin did uh, 20 years earlier to uh, to Shane instead of to Vince. So doesn't hurt to try. Nostalgia's king, man. Nostalgia's big, as you know, because tonight is the is the uh, Raw reunion, which is uh, what they do when they want to pull a good rating. Uh, is you get all the band back together and uh, go over the nostalgia. And we were talking to Sean Mooney last week. That's how he kind of got back in the wrestling business a few years ago was uh, one of these Raw reunions. And he was talking about how his Twitter exploded. So uh, should be fun. I'm going to be watching it and um, should be fun. And 
Want to remind you, if you don't already, to follow me on Twitter at David Penzer, all one word, D-A-V-I-D-P-E-N-Z-E-R, or at Penzer Ringside is the podcast handle. And um, if you don't subscribe to this podcast, it's very simple. Be sure to do so, and you'll get every episode every Monday morning uh, without having to do anything. And uh, it'll be right there waiting for you. So spread the word, tell your friends and family, and I appreciate all the support as always. And with that, it's time to talk to my old friend, wrestling veteran, and I'm wondering what that makes me. We'll talk about that with Shannon Moore. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week on City Ringside, I knew him uh, 20 years ago. God, it's been that long, Shannon, when you broke into WCW. I was debating, first of all, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, God, life's good, man. About to turn 40, feeling old whenever you bring up them 20-year numbers, man, well, whenever I, we were together. And that's and, and that's the funny part. Uh, for those who don't know, Shannon Moore is my guest. Um, that's the funny part. I was talking to my producer while we were getting ready to do the show, and I said, do, do, do I call him a veteran wrestler? And... And he was like, well, yeah. And, um, my, and my, my response was, well, what the hell does that make me? And, yeah, yeah, and no, the right. response to that was a relic. So you're a veteran. Nice. I'm a relic. You, the difference is, is you look great and I don't. So uh, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> j- you're pretty jacked to the max, man. Last time I saw you, at least. Yeah, man, that's, uh, you know, one thing, like, I, I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of prove to myself, like, hitting that 40-year mark or whatever, like, I – told myself like I wanted to be in the best shape of my life uh, coming into 40. So I've been training hard because I just wanted to, you know, I didn't want to, you know, some people like once you, uh, I guess once you hit a certain age, everybody's like, ah, you know, life sucks now. And it's like, I don't want to be that guy, man. I want to try to stay in the best shape possible as long as I can, as long as my body allows me to. God bless you, man. Hey, when I was turning 50, I had the same mindset. I want to be in the best shape and I'm going to, I'm going to work hard. And then I decided after about a day that, uh, I don't like working out, and I'm lazy, and I'd rather lay on the couch and eat. So that that, that plan <laughs> didn't work very well. But hey, I'm jealous of those who have the who have the uh, the the wherewithal to to go out and do it. Because I just man, I can't. If somebody put a gun to my head, DDP actually caught me DDP yoga. Uh, you'd think a Jewish guy would. Uh, can I even say that anymore? I'm Jewish, Jerry. You'd think a Jewish guy would take advantage of a free deal, but. Uh, I, I I didn't I never even did that. But uh, you just speaking of that, do you ever do DDP yoga? Have you ever tried that? I actually I um I talked to Paige not long ago because uh, whenever I'm not on the road wrestling because I still wrestle full time and I've been doing some coaching uh, guest coaching out at the performance center. But whenever I'm not on the road or you know doing that type of thing, I actually work uh I work during the week at a uh, a drug and alcohol rehab facility uh, helping people uh, get sober and actually some of the wrestlers in the world have come through here uh, that's had issues before just working with those guys and trying to uh, trying to help help the brothers get uh get sober if they having them issues man and uh, I contacted DDP about getting his program into the rehab facility there for the clients to start using well God bless I didn't know that see I haven't even started the interview and I already found out something I didn't know that that's great that you're doing that and uh you know you know better than anybody that we've lost a lot of our friends uh to what is uh what what could be a uh uh you know hey i was i was hooked in i i i don't know that i've ever told this story but uh there's a doctor back in ohio 
and he would come to the dressing room and he would write whatever you wanted on a prescription. And I was never in the pills or anything like that. I was just, you know, I like to drink after the matches. And some of the guys told me, hey, you know, if you if you take uh, like half a Percocet, a pain pill, uh, you get a better buzz and you're not hung over. So I was like, hmm, let's try that. And literally within three weeks, four weeks, I was hooked. Hook, line, and sinker. I went, which is silly in hindsight, but I went cold turkey. And I've never touched another pain pill again. But that's how easy it is uh to to start so god bless that you're doing that um so if the internet is right at all and it's not normally it is normally kind of accurate you you've been friends with you were friends with matt and jeff hardy like when you guys were 10 years old or you were 10 years old is that accurate yeah man we uh we grew up together in a town called cameron north carolina sure and uh we just kind of we were all wrestling fans man we had a trampoline that we turned into to the uh into a wrestling ring at that time and that just led you know us to kind of chasing our dreams together man and uh that's what we did man we just set out we knew we loved wrestling it was a passion of ours and we uh you know we chased our dreams together and you know like it's pretty crazy how many of us actually made it and uh was able to make a living and continue to make a living that come from that area because you know we grew up together but then later on as we had our own promotion like we met shane helms and, uh, you know, then like Steve Carino and CW Anderson, and there's so many, there's like 14 or 15 of us, man, that ended up working for the top companies in the world out of our little promotion that we had back in North Carolina. So that has to be crazy. You look back and you were 10 years old or nine years old and you're, 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 you're bonding over wrestling with a couple of brothers. And, uh, and could you ever imagine, you know, on a trampoline, could you ever imagine in your wildest dreams, uh, uh, you know, what would have, what would have the success that you all would have achieved? You know, at the time, man, like people ask me that and they're like, man, did you ever think that you would, you would be where you're at or do what you've done in the business? And like, honestly, man, there was something inside of me back then that young and that early, like there was a passion that I just, I knew that this was for me and I knew this was going to be how I made a living. And I never focused on anything else but that. And it was just a weird feeling. I think we all, all of us probably had that same feeling. Um, and I think, you know, just having that feeling, it just kind of pushed us to put the work in, you know, because we wasn't, you know, we weren't scared to put the work in and try to get to where we needed to be or do what it takes to uh, be looked at back then. And I just, you know, it, it led us to the right places to be seen at the right times. And uh, it, we got those opportunities, you know, especially because Matt and Jeff, they went to WWE. F at the time or WWE and uh you know like I, w- I would go to the shows with them but I was just too small at that point for WWF because it was still kind of a big man's world and uh you know like but shortly after they got you know started doing some stuff with them WCW brought in the luchadors Ray and all those guys and uh you know they kind of opened the door for the smaller guys in WCW so I knew at that point like my sights were set on WCW yeah, I was talking uh, to Sean Mooney. Uh, I don't know if you know Sean. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago on his podcast, and uh, where I was looking back, and and I and I'd be anxious to love to get Ray on the podcast. I don't know if that's possible because of WWE, but um, I, I don't. I remember when when he came in, when he was coming in, and I don't know that he realized how much pressure there was on him. I mean, it was a big guy's business. They were starting to push the cruiserweights a little bit, 
But, you know, cruiserweights were still like Brian Pillman and Brad Armstrong, who were great wrestlers, but were not what you think of now as cruiserweights. So, uh, you know, we heard this guy, Ray Mysterio, is going to come in, and he was five foot six and about 150 pounds. And, you know, I, 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 I look back, and, you know, there was so much pressure, I think, on him, because if he would have gone out there and bombed, I think that it could have gone a whole different way. As as a student of the game, uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, I agree 100%, man. Like, I'm sure there was a lot of pressure whenever he come in there. And, uh, you know, like, it was was a trial, you know. Like, they were probably just wanting to see. But, you know, I'm sure research was done on Ray and, like, his stuff that he was doing down in Mexico at that point. Like, I think they knew, though, what they were bringing in, that it wasn't going to be something that wouldn't bomb. Now, as far as the – the American crowds and like, you know, from a TV standpoint, whether or not they'd bite on it, I think that was probably a challenge or that was going to be probably something that, you know, uh, Bischoff and, you know, whoever else is in charge at that point, like they were worried about rating wise, but, um, you know, fortunately, man, like just the people loved it. And that ended up being the selling point for WCW. Like, you know, whenever you think about, especially those last whatever five years of WCW or, seven years of WCW, like to me, the first thing that pops into my head, the cruiserweight division or the NWO. Um, but the cruiserweight division definitely was something that separated brands, uh, between WWF and WCW at that point. And this, you know, all the credit, it has to go to Ray just because he, he broke down doors for a lot more cruiserweights and smaller guys in the business. The cool thing is it wasn't like, um, it wasn't like it grew over time. As soon as the guy went in the ring and and started doing his stuff all the any stigma that he would have had for his height or his size went away he was just that he was that good uh and that smooth and uh you know like it wasn't like a gradual building thing it was just like as soon as he started doing his thing it was like holy crap you know you'd never seen anything like that back then so let me ask you a question so what do a young uh, North Carolina, a couple of friends, Matt and Jeff and Shannon. What what did they watch? Were you guys WWF fans? Were you guys uh, NWA fans? Uh, well, I watched everything, man. Like I watched WWF just from you know like Flair and them being from Charlotte and all that stuff. Like I was definitely a you know a Flair fan, but I did a lot of tape trading, man, back in the day. And uh, me and Matt and Jeff, like we got our hands on tapes and just different styles. Cause that was kind of my mentality. Whenever I got into the business was I loved all these different styles. I love Japanese wrestling. I love, you know, Lucha Libre and I love the Americans, American style. So I just wanted to try to combine all that stuff. So I just studied whatever I could get my hands on at that point. Um, but growing up, yeah, definitely. I watched both brands. It's funny because uh, when we had Shane Helms on about a year ago, he, basically said the same exact thing. He immersed himself in all the different styles. And I think there's a whole generation that became, uh, you know, the cruiserweights that, that really did that because of the tape trading that was going on, which is now called YouTube. Imagine if it was that easy back then. You know, with YouTube, just social media in general. But now, man, like, you know, um, I've got the guest coach at, uh, at the WWE Performance Center a few times and man like i tell you what now like having the wwe network to learn from and uh just and, and that's not just for wwe guys i mean from 999 man like all that tape trading and all that stuff you don't have to worry about it no more i mean you got a library of wrestling that goes back you know just years and years and years and years and decades and it's like 
man, it's the perfect time to be in this business to take it serious. If you want to be a, you know, like if you want to be something in the business, if you want to leave a mark or have a legacy, like now you've got all the tools you need to be the best you could possibly be. So I just now there's really no, nobody should have any issues or, or any complaints about not being able to learn how to be the best because all the tools are there now. Like you don't have to search for it. Yeah. You don't have to go out and try to find somebody to trade tapes and postage and, and, and all that stuff. It's uh, it's right at your fingertips for sure. Um, so did, did you, and, and I guess to a lesser extent, Matt and Jeff, uh, ever like have formal training or was your formal training kind of just uh, mimicking what you saw on the trampoline? Did it, at first it was all just mimicking what we've seen on TV and then that led to maybe uh, I think there was a guy named John Savage that uh, we become friends with, and like he showed some basics of pro wrestling to you know to everybody. And then like Matt and Jeff, whenever they were first going up to WWE, like they you know like we were just pretty much self trained. And then whenever we'd get the opportunity to work with somebody that had been formally trained, like we'd try to pick up those you know, those basics or whatever, but we, we kind of did it on our own, man. And just learned by trial and error. That's crazy, man. That is absolutely crazy. So you end up in WCW uh, and you end up in three count. I'm wondering, yeah, I remember, you know, cause I was tight with Jimmy Hart still am. And, uh, and I remember him coming up to me and saying, I got this great idea. And he, he, he you know, he told me about the green dots and the, the boy band thing. And, uh, and I don't even know if he had you guys picked out yet, but he started singing the 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 the, the chorus of the song, and uh, you know Jimmy got so excited on that stuff. What were your thoughts when I'm assuming Jimmy approached you guys about doing that, or did somebody else? Yeah, well, like it kind of happened because you know, like I actually reached out to Chris Canyon because I was out in Nashville, Tennessee, for Music City Wrestling, and me and Shane and Joey Matthews and christian york at the time um we were doing a, a group called the bad street boys and we were basically a young team like you know boy band type wrestling group and uh, we had music videos and stuff there and uh, after i was out there for about a year working uh chris canyon i called chris canyon because i was just ready to i was ready to go you know try to get an opportunity in wcw and uh, i called chris about just going to the power plant maybe getting a, a, a tryout down there and chris was like well, right now, you know, pretty much we probably don't have nothing for you because the power plant's full. But uh, Chris, I didn't know at the time. He was familiar with my work because he, I guess, the TV station or whatever TV channel, I guess, Music City was on. He was, you know, Chris was a big uh, wrestling guy. Like He watched everything. And I guess he used to watch Music City Wrestling because he was familiar with me and what, what I was doing at the time. And um, after he told me no, we hung up. Like, pretty much the next day, I got a phone call back from him. He's like, dude, you're not going to believe this. Eric Bischoff just gave me the power to hire 21 more cruiserweights that look 21 years of age and under. And uh, he's like, you're the first one. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, pretty much contracts in the mail. And I, I hadn't even been to a live event yet um, to uh, for them to see me wrestle live. It was just what they had seen on TV or what Chris had seen. And, uh, dude, I signed my contract uh, without ever doing a live event, I believe. Um, and then finally I went down to do a show for him because Bischoff and them wanted to see me perform live. So I ended up, uh, Shane ended up going with me, and I wrestled Shane in front of him, and then they hired Shane too. Uh, they they offered him a deal. So from there, like, man, we actually were, you know, we were just bobbing around 
for three months, really. We went to the power plant. We left the power plant because we thought it sucked because we'd been wrestling <laughs> for six years already. And we were like, dude, all we're doing is getting hurt down here. Like, what's the deal? And we went to Paul Orndorff and um, told him that we were leaving. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, you guys shouldn't be here anyway. And then Paul actually put us on, like, the to-be-fired list uh, because we, after telling us, like, yeah, it's okay, just leave. Then he, he tried to get us fired. I guess because he, you know, I guess he was pissed off because we said that we didn't want to be there and get hurt no more. And then Jimmy seen that list and Jimmy's like, you know, no, I, I got an idea for these guys. And then that's from there. That's whenever uh, Jimmy just kind of took us and started going with the idea right there and kind of rushed it. And uh, we got it done. We filmed the, uh, the songs and the music videos and stuff. What, and what did you think about it? I mean, were you, you know, you had to do the choreography and the actual singing and all that. Is that something you kind of rolling your eyes or were you excited about it? Dude, I was excited about it because, you know, one, it was an opportunity. And I thought that the idea behind it was great because, you know, at that time, like the where, where wrestling was, like nobody wanted to see a boy band in pro wrestling, um, you know, especially because that's, a, you know, it's kind of that man's uh, macho sport or whatever. So, you know, from a st- but Jimmy had Jimmy had a different view than what I had because Jimmy's view was we were going to be this, this babyface boy band that was going to sell like legitimately do these albums and legitimately tour and do concerts and stuff. But you know, me, I'm sitting there going, man, the people are going to hate this shit. They're going to hate us. They're going to want to see us die. So I knew, like, I was like, this is going to be a good hill thing. Like, I knew it would be a good hill stable, and then we would go out and just rip it up in the ring because we could go. But, you know, like, it, it was cool just to to start doing it. And the way that people reacted, you know, was in a hillish way. And, like, man, before you knew it, like, dude, there was people throwing shit in the ring. And, like, we got a ton of hill heat. And um, But the cool thing about it, like I said, we backed it up by what we did in the ring. Like, our wrestling, you know, and what, what we did at, you know, at Starcade and some of the ladder matches that we had. Like, that stuff, man, it's timeless. Like, looking back, like, I was just – watching a video the other day from, you know, our like young dragons three count and uh, some of the other cruiserweights, the fuse that we had, and it was just kind of a clip tape. And man, I forgot how much good stuff that we actually did throughout the years. It's funny. You go back and just to go back to the whole Chris Canyon thing. He, he was like the Oprah Winfrey of, uh, of, of, of young wrestlers. You know, you get a contract, you get a contract. Everybody gets a contract and hey, everybody he hired was very talented. I'm not saying, saying anything negative about it, but I mean, the chance to be able to, for a guy like Chris, who is a master of the game and who appreciated getting an opportunity because he started out as an enhancement guy and had to work his way up, uh, to, to do the, uh, Mortis gimmick and, and, and then beyond. So, you know, I think he was probably, felt like Santa Claus on Christmas mo- uh, morning giving out uh, those those deals. So I, I always forget about that, but that, that was actually cool. I didn't realize you ended up on the to-be-fired list. I think Jimmy saved – Jimmy Hart saved more to-be-fired people. I think that was his goal. His goal was to find a way to keep all the to-be-fired people just to prove whoever wrote them down wrong. Yeah, and he did, man, like – because. You know, Jimmy was all about, like, talent, man. And he, he believed that somebody had talent and a look, like, that, you know, they deserved that spot. Like, he didn't – Jimmy tried not to get caught up. From what I know of Jimmy, like, he he just sounds like he wasn't caught up in all the politics and the BS. Like, he tried to he tried to ride that fine line with that stuff. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. He just uh, – uh, 
you know, just like to do his little projects. And it, it, it wasn't even so much about if you're a good wrestler. He was all about the look. He was, he was from the music business, uh, uh, where he was, you know, at, uh, keep on dancing was the top five hit back in the 1960s. So he toured with, I'm sure you know this with the Beach Boys and, uh, you know, Dick Clark's, uh, rock and roll caravan. And so, you know, they were brought up to, you know, always dress the part and always look the part because back then, you know, the Beatles and, and all that it was more about how you looked. And they, they could make, you know, if you had a good look, they could, uh, they, they, you know, they could make you sound good. So, uh, he, Jimmy's always been about, uh, whether it's big muscular guys or, or guys like you guys who have the boy band look, always been about how you look. But yeah, he was, he never got into politics. His deal was, he asked him how he was doing last 20 years. Jimmy's like, I'm just floating, baby, just floating. And it's true. Just, just, just float out there. Hey, you mentioned the, the triple, uh, threat, triple ladder match at Starcade. Um, this is the part of the program that I get to brag because it doesn't happen very often, but, I don't know if you know this, but and I've said that told this story before. I actually was that was that that was actually my idea. I oh, was it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was the only idea I, I ever had. Well, for like about uh, for about three months, I was uh, like a junior, like stooge member of the booking committee. They let me sit in and take notes, and and you know I didn't really say anything. And eventually, at some point, uh, they they I, I got the nerve to say. Because uh, you know they had split you guys and the you guys and the young dragons up, and then put the odd man out together. So I they were like a triple threat. And I said, "What if they did a triple threat, triple ladder match?" And somebody wrote, "Who's that that talked?" And then when they realized that it was me, and I got they got over the fact that I wasn't supposed to talk, they actually wrote it down and, and put it on. So that's sort of my claim to oh, fame. Okay. So since you brought, I wasn't going to yeah. bring it up. Well, actually, I was going to bring it up. It's right here, triple threat, triple letter on my list. But since you brought it up, I thought I'd hit on it. That's, you know, it's, nah, uh, dude, that's, that was, a, that was a definitely a good call, man. Like on your part, like to do that and dude, uh, you should be proud of it, man. I'm, I'm definitely proud of that match. Cause that's one of those matches. Not only, you know, like being part of Starcade while I was in WCW, you know, that was, that's pretty awesome. Like to be able to say, cause there's not too many people out there that can say they were in a Starcade and they were part of a WrestleMania now. So like me, I, that match, man, like, uh, I'm glad you did that. Cause you gave me an opportunity to be in something really cool, man. And I think it's, it's one of those matches that will hold up against time, like, you know, 20 more years down the road. And it's just one of those things I blurted out. Most of the time when I blurted stuff out, I got heat. This time somebody actually thought it was a good idea. But, um, so, so it's funny because you talk about how, how, what a great match that was. But then we segue to, uh, very shortly thereafter, WCW going out of business. What were your, uh, what were your thoughts when you heard, you know, cause you had finally gotten your break. You were entrenched in the cruiserweight division, which people were talking about. It was something totally new and different. Like you said, uh, what were your thoughts when you heard that the, the, the place was going under? Oh, dude, I was terrified, man. Like I remember, <laughs> uh, just that last night, like whenever, you know, like the WWE guys come in, like knowing that it's a big man's game up there. And uh, at that time though, like the cruiserweight division up there, it kind of, you know, they went to a little smaller guy. So, um, yeah, I was terrified, man. I was flying home. I didn't know what my next journey would be. I didn't know, if, you know, like at that point, like if I would just go back to doing indies or just kind of what I would do. Um, and especially because being that young, too, and 
like I was making good money in WCW and the first thing we do is we go and get in debt whenever we start making some good money. So, you know, at that point, like I had, you know, a house and cars and boats and jet skis and I just got married and like, it was just nuts, dude. <laughs> like the amount of debt that I had uh, at that point, just because I had money to pay the bills. So I'd finance fucking everything. Um, so we, uh, you know, flying home, man, I was like, man, this is, this is scary. Like, am I going to lose my house? Am I going to lose my car? Like, you know, how am I going to make a living now? Like what? And just the reality behind that stuff. And I guess being so young and not understanding how to process that, like it really, like, it, you know, I was a little, uh, I was a little nervous about what the future was going to hold at that point. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is that, um, when, uh, Eric Bischoff gave, uh, 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 Jim Vandenberg, uh, uh, what's his real name? Uh, Jim Mitchell, uh, when he, cause they originally, you know, they were bringing in, they were doing the whole superhero game gimmick with, uh, uh, Glacier and Mortis and, and, and all that. And b- before they actually were able to pull that off, the whole NWO thing, which was more legit based, like reality based took off. And I guess Eric realized that the, the video game thing was dead, but they had already put so much money into the props and the snow and the, all that and the costumes and all that, that they had to give it a try. So my favorite story is when Eric gave uh, Jim Mitchell his contract, he said, don't spend a dime. You're not going to last here very long. So Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess there's a positive and negative to that. The positive, the, the negative is you you just signed a contract and the the guy who's in charge told you you're not going to be around for too long. But the positive is at least you're not flying home on an airplane on a Tuesday uh, after Vince McMahon bought the company, not knowing if you're going to lose your house and all that. So it's a uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Like you know, sometimes honesty is not what we want to hear, but it's the best thing. <laughs> As I've gotten older, I've learned that. Trust me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So wh- how long did it take for you to find out that they picked up your deal, WWE? Uh, it was it was shortly after, man, like a few days later. Uh, I got a phone call, I think, uh, from was it Johnny Ace. I think Johnny did. And, you know, he's just like, hey, kid, they, you know, your deal's going to roll over. You got to meet and coming up with Jim Ross. And uh, I had to fly to Atlanta, I think, uh, and meet with Jim Ross in the hotel just about kind of what their plans were for me. I remember that hotel room like uh, it's entrenched in my mind. Uh, I I wasn't so lucky, but, uh, so this is my favorite part. When I talk to people who there's only, you know, maybe 20, 30 people who actually went from WCW right when it went out of business to WWE, um, WWF, what were the differences? Because it's two, as we know, looking back, it's two totally different atmospheres. Uh, what were the differences between the two companies? And, uh, when did you realize, uh, what, it wasn't that it was a you know totally different uh, uh, you know place as far as still wrestling it's still a wrestling company but as far as how they you know the locker room worked it was a totally different place. Yeah, man. Like you know, like people said that people said like ah oh, it's a totally different locker room. But at that point, man, like you know, I had a bunch of friends too in WWE, um, and you know, like I'd always. I, I'd, I was hanging out with people even whenever I was in WCW that worked for WWE. And even before I got to WCW, like I was going to shows and stuff, um, just there, like whenever, if Matt and Jeff would be there, or, you know, if the guys were in town. So like I already had like a locker room connection with everybody. And uh, like that really didn't bother me or affect me because I've just never been that guy that didn't get along with people or hold grudges or, 
all that stuff. So I just, you know, whenever I, I got there, like, you know, one thing I noticed as far as the difference with WWE, how structured it was and how, like, it was just, there's just a fine lot, fine line that was walked there. Like, you know, in WCW, like, guys had so many different types of contracts and, you know, they could do whatever they want or, you know, they, if they didn't want to wrestle because they didn't want to put this guy over, they could do whatever. And it just seemed like at WWE, like, you know, they, it was more structure and it was about the brand more. And, um, you know, at that point, like whenever I got there, um, but I didn't go straight to TV. That was one thing that didn't happen. Uh, I actually sit home for about three months uh, once my contract rolled over until, you know, trying to figure out where they were going to plug me into the cruiserweight division there. And, um, uh, so at that point, I called Jim Ross, and Jim Ross told me if I wanted to, I could go to, uh, I guess, uh, Cincinnati. They started, they closed down the Memphis Developmental Territory and moved those guys to Les Thatcher School in Cincinnati. And I went up there with like guys like Amaga and um, Charlie Haas, um, and uh, Jimmy Yang ended up there. Um, so or Akio in uh, WCW, he was there with me. And uh, Evan ended up there. So, like, we just went up there, man, just chilled for a few months until, you know, it was time to uh, to hit TV for WWE. So you weren't one of the ones who went immediately up as part of the uh, as part of the invasion? No, I didn't go up for the invasion. Ah. I'm kind of glad I didn't. Yeah, yeah. that explains um, a lot because the people that went up for the invasion have a totally different story about the adjustment. So that explains that. Explains that. It also, like you said, probably helps – that you do, Matt and Jeff and, 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 and some of the guys that probably give you a little bit of uh, cred, you know, that other people had to prove that you had already proven by just hanging around those guys. Hey, before I forget, uh, what's, what is Evan Courageous doing? Dude, Evan's doing good, man. He, uh, he opened his own tax business doing tax returns and stuff. Because that's and, what uh, I would have thought Evan he, Courageous was going to end up doing when I met the guy with his big, long braided hair. God bless him. Yeah, now nah, he's got this huge business, man. He's got all kinds of little business ventures. He's got a restaurant in Myrtle Beach. Like, he's got, a, he's doing well, man. He's got a big, any of my, well, I mean, I talk to him regularly now. I go visit whenever I'm wrestling up in that area. But yeah, the first time I, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years, just talked to him on the phone. And I like, dude, I'm going to come see you, man. Whenever I seen him, like, I, I, I'll never forget, like, rolled into his housing development. He's got this damn mansion that he lives in. He's got Mercedes in the garage. And, got the whole pool and all that stuff and it's like dude he's doing well man like he's he's definitely balling up there like with his business and stuff that's awesome good for him we got to try to get his number get him on the podcast here and tell his story his story definitely went a different way but looks like it worked out for him for sure um whose idea was it uh when you first came up to the main wwf wwe company uh, whose idea was it for you to be a uh, Matt Hardy sidekick? And did you see the irony in that all those years later? Yeah, man, it was awesome. It, uh, you know, like the, it had got pitched just where Matt was going with his storyline and just the fact that it, it was kind of a real deal, you know, cause man, Matt and Jeff, like we're best friends growing up and, uh, we remained friends at that point. So it was like, man, like, let's just put them together and let's just make him, you know, like this, overconfident believer in you where you know like i believe all his hype all his bullshit and uh, so like yeah i think you know that was just uh matt had pitched that idea and i think michael hayes probably had something to do with it and um then later whenever we brought crash in as my moron like he was kind of my lackey and uh like 
that was me and Matt. We, you know, I think I pitched it to Matt about him being my moron, and then we started going that direction with Crash too. But, uh, but yeah, man, that was Matt. Matt gave me that opportunity, and uh, I think Michael Hayes. I'm wondering if uh, there ever came a time uh, during that uh, period where you and Matt and Jeff went out after the matches one night, kind of sat it around at a bar at, at a bar at a table and kind of toasted to you know uh, what 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 started out as three kids on a trampoline and now you're in the biggest company in uh, in in the world and uh, and and all working together. That had to be cool. Yeah, it was uh, you know because at that point it's like. You know, whether who, no matter who's world champion, no matter who's doing what or where, it's like at that point you've made it, and uh, you know we made it together. You know we we set out on this journey at nine years old, and then there we were. You know, uh, and I I know we did it one time at WrestleMania. Like I was, I think Matt was wrestling Rey Mysterio, and I was at ringside, and I was trying to you know screw Rey Mysterio over so Matt could uh, keep the cruiserweight title or win the cruiserweight title. I can't remember which way it was going on that show but um it uh yeah after that just there was that surreal moment before walking out in front of a hundred thousand people it was like me and matt and jeff backstage and it was like dude like here we are man like you know from videotaping some stuff we've seen on tv on the trampoline to walking out at wrestlemania or we're all on this wrestlemania card like how how amazing is that and it's like it's surreal man sometimes like i still don't I still don't believe it's my life, you know, like looking back, like you can't just, it's it's just weird thinking that I, I've had these opportunities. I'm surprised WWE network hasn't done a documentary on the three of you guys and your story. Yeah. I mean, maybe one day, man, it'll come, um, you know, we did little stuff like in Jeff's, some of his DVDs and stuff, but there's never really been something with, you know, the core group of guys that grew up together and kind of chased their dreams together done on all three of us. But, I mean, you never know, man. Like, maybe one day uh, we'll be able to get that on the network. Is there any video of you guys on the trampoline? Oh, dude, yeah. There's. I mean, we got thousands of hours of that stuff, like shows that we did back in the day. Um, Matt's got a lot of it. He's got the tape library at his house, but... Um, I don't know if any has been released on YouTube with full shows and stuff, but there's a lot of good footage that hasn't been seen yet. Yeah, I'm surprised. Somebody, one of these days, son, they're going to give you a call and do a documentary because that's a heck of a story. Uh, from You can do a shot from the trampoline and the three of you to WrestleMania and the, the three of you guys, and uh, and that, that would uh, really be something. So uh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest it right now, and if they do it in the next six months, I'm going to take credit for it. How about that? Um, okay. <laughs> so you you left WWF, uh, went to, had a cup of coffee with TNA, went back to WWF. Any reasoning behind that? Were you just kind of burnt out at that point? Um, well, at that point, just kind of, I was, you know, like everybody does, man. Like early in their career, though, you know, like I just I got complacent in my job, like the same routine, just doing the same things on TV. I think I just got I just uh, I got in that negative mindset and. uh you know, I I think everybody does that, man, at some point earlier in their career where it's, you know, you want more. It's like, you know, you want more of a storyline. You want more of a, of a, I don't like to say push because, you know, it's entertainment. It's like, you know, a push. Like, to me, I just want to be involved more. And, um, you know, instead of, you know, at that point, just going, man, like, just go out there, just do do your job. 
do it the best you can and just love what you do. I kind of uh, started getting in a negative place. So, uh, you know, obviously, like, whenever you that negativity and you're walking in with a boo-boo face and it's time for budget cuts, like, you know, they're going to keep the guys smiling and saying thank you uh, over the guys that, you know, are just not wanting to be there at the moment, which is understandable. Like, And uh, so at that point, they were making budget cuts, and that's whenever I went to uh, TNA. And um, I went down there, and, you know, uh, that kicked off good. Like, Jeff, Double J was running stuff there, and we did some packages and stuff, and they put me on TV. And um, But I hadn't signed a contract yet, and uh, I just ended up back at WWE one more time, like, because uh, they called me right back once they see me on TV. And they're like, hey, uh, why don't you uh, just come back? And at that point, it was, I think the main thing was like TNA hadn't signed, I hadn't signed a deal with them yet. And we were kind of negotiating. And at that point, you know, it was about the money. And because I was going through a divorce at the time, and I'm like, look, I need to know what kind of guaranteed money I'm going to make down here because I got to finish up this divorce. And uh, I think they had put me in the main event. I was working against AJ Styles in the main event and stuff. And I had, like, the punk rock character. And um, I, I I think, uh, who was it? Johnny called me that night. And he's like, yeah, we, you know, uh, the boss scene, what you were doing on TV down there. And, you know, we want to bring you back. And I agreed to come back at that point. How, how, how was that breaking that to Jeff? It, dude, honestly, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um Cause I didn't, I didn't talk to Jeff before it happened. Like it happened so fast. Cause like I, I literally made a phone call before uh, TNA Impact started that night. And right after the show, whenever I was walking to the Japanese steakhouse um, to eat that night, like I got a phone call from Johnny. So I didn't even get to discuss it with Jeff, um, but just because I didn't want to cross that friendship line, like with business. Cause I was talking to Dixie about my contract, not Jeff. But Jeff called me shortly after I got the phone call that I was going back. And um, whenever that happened, um, I think uh, Jeff, he, um, you know, he's like, hey, do we need to talk? And I was like, yeah, we can talk. And uh, he's like, I guess uh, you're leaving. And I was like, yeah, I'm leaving. But, you know, like I, I felt horrible because me and Jeff, like, dude, I, I, he was a role model for me, you know, not only like with his career, but in WCW, he helped me so much. And whenever I, whenever that happened, I just felt like I let my friend down, one of my best friends. And like today, like our relationship today, like I love Jeff Jarrett to death. Like he's, he's an amazing person and he's helped me in so many ways than one, like outside of the business. Um, but it was something up until a few years ago that I wasn't able to let go of. And it really bothered me that I did that to him. How about how about him? How was he about all that? Was he cool? Was he upset? I mean, I can imagine he probably wasn't thrilled. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't thrilled with me. And like he said, you know, like, I wish you would have talked to me about it um, before you made the decision. But at the same time, I think he's also a businessman and understands, like, I was going through a divorce and I was going to make more money there. But from a career standpoint, like, they were giving me the ball and TNA to run with, you know. So I see both sides of it. But for me at that point, it was about business more so than what I was going to be doing on TV. So, uh, you know, like it was just one of those things that it was a, an agree to disagree type thing. But, you know, now, like looking back, like I think it's we both look at it as like a business type thing. And uh, he knows I love him and like, you know, and like I respect him and all that stuff. And I didn't do it to intentionally hurt him. 
Sure, obviously not. It's at the end of the day, it's a business. But uh, so you mentioned, uh, you know, when, when you left WWE the first time, uh, you know, just being complacent, not, uh, you know, not being into it, you know, uh, just kind of going from town to town. Uh, you mentioned also earlier that you'd been teaching at the a little bit at the performance center. I'm wondering if when you go to the performance center, if it's just you showing people how to do moves or if you get to sh- tell the, the athletes there stories like that, you know, so that they could learn from, from your complacency and your mistake. Yeah, man. Like that's the, like, dude, the first, the the WWE performance center, man, is just out of this world. Like that facility is just top notch. Like there's never been anything like that in professional wrestling. Um, and that facility, just the tools and stuff that these guys have to work with. It's amazing, man. Like, Dude, I, I was so grateful, like, just to have the opportunity to be there with and be able to just to pass along what knowledge that some of the greats have passed down to me, um, you know, because, I, you know, getting to work with Arn Anderson and, you know, Fit Finley and, you know, the list goes on and on, your Barry Windhams and stuff like that. You know, like, some of these guys may never get that opportunity. So, like, I think it's important for generations to pass that knowledge down because that's some of the greatest information you'll ever get in the business. So being there, man, like these, these students, there, they're busting their butt, man. They're working hard. They're putting the work in. And, you know, like I'm able to do, just pass that knowledge along in all capacities. I mean, it's not just showing how to put proper moves on. Like it's, you know, from a psychological standpoint to just, you know, like uh, I guess critiquing. Like it, there's a lot more to it than people think whenever you're there at the performance center, I guess, coaching. And uh, dude, I eat that up because that that stuff, man. Like I, I love being in there and actually passing along the knowledge that I've gained. I saw that you were on the Hulkamania Australia tour, and I've heard that it was a that was a pretty crazy couple of weeks uh, over in uh, in the down under, as they speak. Any any stories that you could tell that you're able to tell from that tour? Because I heard it was a two week party was an understatement. Man, like you know, as far as the stories and stuff like that, like I'm not trying to cause any trouble for anybody else or myself but i will say like it's probably one of the craziest tours that i've ever been on man and it was just non-stop i mean it was a non-stop just pretty much party from the time that you hit the plane to the time that you landed um and i mean it was a good time man but you know from a business standpoint i'm sure the investors whoever invested in that tour like regretted saying that they were going to flip the tab for the boys and going to flip the tab for all the hotels and stuff. Cause man, we stayed in five-star hotels and um, man, it was hotel and casinos and just, dude, it was amazing. Like it was one of the funnest trips I've ever been on. But at the same time, like from what I hear, like <laughs> the company that I guess hosted the shows or brought them over there, the entertainment company didn't do too well after that. Are you telling me that they paid for the bar tab every night? Dude, yeah, I didn't pay for a thing the whole time. Oh my god! Just with the two nasty boys, that's like a hundred grand. Yeah, like, and you know, that's two weeks worth, and that's on top of room service, steak dinners, and around the clock too. So you can only imagine what those tabs were. I don't remember why I didn't make the cut for that tour. I'm starting to think it might have been a good thing. I don't know. I might not have come back. Uh, you went to TNA again in 2010, and you know, it's funny. Um, uh. I've talked on this podcast a little bit about Vince Russo. I have nothing personal against Vince Russo. He's a fine human being, I guess. Uh, was never a huge fan of a lot of his uh, 
uh, storylines and, and gimmicks. And so, uh, you know, there would be, they put a tag team together when I, and then I was there when you were there, they put a tag team together and, you know, they, you'd always cringe before you saw what name he came up with. And sometimes it was cool, like beer money. And sometimes it was, uh, it was kind of silly, but one of my favorite, probably my favorite, Vin, and I don't know if this was all Vince, but one of my favorite Vince Russo era, uh, tag teams is Ink Ink. I love that. I said, I, to this day, I think that's brilliant. You and Jesse Neal both tattooed up and the INK and the INC. How, how, how was that? Uh, and whose idea was that? Was that your idea? Was that a Russo thing? Well, now that was kind of my character going into TNA because I had the Mohawk and stuff. And uh, Jesse Neal, like, he just hit the scene. They really didn't know what to do with him, man. And uh, so at the time, like me and Russo, we talked about it. And he's, uh, he's like, dude, would you have a problem with teaming with Jesse? And I was like, no. And my idea anyways, like for me, because I own tattoo shops, like I, well, I've owned several of them over the last years and been pretty successful in the tattoo industry. And like the the t- tattoo industry kind of hit mainstream, you know, especially um, in the you know 2005. Like it was really with all the t- coming off all the TV shows and stuff that were on TV. I thought that you know that'd be a cool character to just go ahead and base it off my real life tattoo shops and just kind of go in that direction. So that kind of uh, helped, I guess, shape the the tag team as far as it. Uh, I think Russo's the one who probably come up with the name Ink Ink. Um, because like, I, I don't remember even trying to come up with a name cause I wasn't, we wasn't at to that point yet. And, uh, just whenever it happened, man, like we just kind of worked with it and kind of, I guess, shaped it into what it, what it was. And like the people loved it, man. Like we, uh, our merch, like our t-shirts and TNA, they did really well, um, at that point. And it just reached that, that point, I think with the tag team division where you know like the booking and stuff there was so back and forth and nobody really had long-term plans for anything there and we hit that point where the people were convinced that we were competitors and they wanted to see us more of us but they either needed to put the titles on us so that the people would you know i guess consider us champion material or they needed to go another direction storyline wise um, and it just got to the point where, you know, it was just frustrating, like making calling every week going, dude, like, all right, here's an idea. Cause man, we'd go, we'd rip it up with beer money on the house shows, man. Like just have the people going nuts. And, um, you know, they could have ran with us versus beer money for a year straight and did get business with that with drop, you know, flipping the titles back and forth. But, um, but yeah, it just got to the point where it was like, okay, guys, you, you gotta do something with this or fucking you know, we got to, we got to switch something up. And I think at that point, Jesse, he got kind of bitter about the whole, um, the way things were going, the way that, uh, you know, they were using this and stuff. So Jesse ended up quitting and it kind of brought an end to it. So you mentioned that you own some, uh, pretty, uh, popular famous tattoo parlors. And if anybody's seen you lately or seen a picture of you, you're pretty much, I don't know. Is this the right word? Tatted up from head to toe. Is that, is that the right terminology? Tatted up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, uh, yeah, I'm all tattooed now, man, like completely different, you know. But it, it's actually the look that I always seen myself as far as like in WCW. And it's funny that I was in a boy band at that point. <laughs> I always, you know, like, Dude, I'm a rock star, man. Like I want to be tattooed. And Jimmy's like, nah, you're too pretty, baby. You're too pretty. And uh, so, yeah, so whenever I, I finally was able to, I guess, sneak through the whole tattoo policy thing, like I started – 
getting myself all tatted up. And um, then I just tried myself. I was like, man, you know what? I'm just trying to jump in this tattoo industry and make some money at that too while I'm at it. And uh, it worked out good for me. Is that like an addiction? You know, you know, you work with uh, you. You, we found out earlier, you work with people that are addicted to to substance. Is that like a, a rush addiction for the tattoos? Uh, what you know, you see people who, uh, you know, who start and they can't stop. I'm just wondering the thought process behind it. I don't think it's a, necessarily an addiction, man. Like um, for me, it's a lifestyle. Like you know, it's just who I am, and like all my tattoos, they have meaning behind them, and. King Hart gave me the greatest piece of advice in WCW that I've ever been given. And like, I've always, um, and it didn't make me go get tattooed all up, but I always keep it in mind because I just, I, I, I try hard just to be me and, uh, to be an individual and not follow anybody's path. And, uh, you know, my tattoos kind of symbolize that. And it's like, if it's something I want and it's something that I feel I can live with, then uh, I'll get it. But Jimmy told me one time, he's like, Shannon, um, you know, here's some advice I can give you. If you look like the crowd, you're going to find yourself sitting in the crowd one day. And, uh, I always, that, that stuck with me for years, man. And, uh, I still use that today. Like I'll use it whenever I'm doing, uh, training seminars or whatever, because like, it's so true. And, um, like for me, man, my individuality, like it's just something that I pride myself on. So that's, that's one of the reasons like I've tattooed myself like I have, because, you know, I, and I, I don't think that, everybody should go out and tattoo themselves because depending on what you're going to do for the rest of your life, like you need to think about that too. But for me and my lifestyle and the way that I live and where I'm going with my life, like I'm able to really express myself and uh, there's nothing more to me than having freedom of expression. Yeah. Jimmy's always, I mean, I've heard Jimmy say that probably over a hundred times, if not a thousand, uh, if you, you know, you look like the audience, you're going to sit in the audience. And, uh, uh, you know, that's why whenever you see Jimmy, whether you see him in a restaurant or you see him at a fan fest, you know, he always has the megaphone. He always has the jacket with the hearts on it. And, uh, you know, he lives the gimmick 24 seven and he truly believes that. And it's worked for him. He looks exactly the same. God bless as he did, uh, 30 years ago. Um, what and I don't say I'm not saying this kidding around. I'm serious. I'm just curious. What happens when you run out of places to get tattooed? And have you reached that yet? Oh, dude, you're always gonna have some stuff to work on because I got a lot of horrible stuff on me too that could be reworked. So, so, so once you hit capacity, you just have to upgrade. Yeah. Well, um, for me, like I never finish one tattoo, anyways. Like to the fullest. Like I always jump on to something um something different so like for me it's uh you know it's always going to be a work in progress i mean i got a back piece right now that needs to be finished 1500 more hours into that so pretty sure i'll be tattooing you know working on stuff for the rest of my life i'm not, i'm never going to run out of nothing to work on i know you're here in uh in florida now any chance any ideas about opening up a tattoo parlor here where you live um well I've, you know i've I just sold my last tattoo shop and um, I've just been focused on wrestling lately. And, uh, you know, just wrestling is so busy right now. Like I just don't have time. So, I mean, in the future, it's always there. Um, it'll, you know, if, if I need it, it's there always. And uh, if I have time to do it and be able to balance my life and balance what I'm doing now, like that's what it comes down to for me. Cause I don't want to over extend myself and all my, all my stuff that I'm doing right now. So at some point, I'm sure I'll have another one. 
Curious, uh, and then I'll wrap it up and let you go. Thank you for your time. Curious, uh, what made you leave North Carolina? You had friends, you had a business, you had a band with Jeff. Uh, you're, you guys were writing music. Uh, just change the scenery type situation? Dude, I love Florida. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, lady. Have you, have you stepped out of that? Have you stepped out of your house? <laughs> Dude, yeah, it's absolutely great. Like, just sweating and like, I love it. I'll take it because I'll tell you what, man, I had some real estate in Chicago. Um, at one point, and I had to live in Chicago for two years. It's probably the worst two years of my life, just with that cold weather. And I always knew I wanted to live near the beach, but after that Chicago experience, I said, you know what, I'm going to Florida, and I'm never leaving if, if I can help it. Well, God bless you, man. It's been a, a, a pretty cool ride, and uh, the, you're still rolling strong. So uh, keep in touch, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you around here. And if, like, I, like I've uh, told you before, if uh, – if you need to uh, uh, pick up a piece of real estate or two, uh, I'm only a phone call away, buddy. Yes, sir. And I'll be hitting you up, man, because uh, hopefully soon I'll be able to make that that move, man. Not rushing into it, but uh, I'm gonna be calling you, looking for that that beach condo, man. It overlooks the water. So, so you should you should have told me that because now now I'll be texting you once a week. You thought you got rid of me by doing my. <laughs> you, you thought I was gonna leave you alone for doing? No, I won't bother you. But yeah, I'm here if you need me, man. Thanks for telling your story and uh, continued success. And um, just tell the people where they can find you. I know you're uh, you're on um, uh, Twitter. Yeah, man, I'm on Twitter. It's at the Shannon Brand, and uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram. That's at uh, Gas Mask LLC. And, uh, man, I'm still all over the place wrestling. So, man, on social media, all you got to do is Google me or something, and you'll find out where I'm at because like, I'm everywhere at this point. Um, but, yeah, man. Hey, Shannon, one last question. I know that I, on your Twitter page you've been putting up some videos of uh, highlights from the Cruiserweight division and, and from WCW 2000-2001. You're obviously proud of, 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 of the statement that that's made and how it changed the wrestling business. So I wonder when you look now at the current state of the business and you see promotions like All Elite Wrestling and, and even WWE with AJ Styles and, and, and people like that, uh, Ricochet and people like that on top. I wonder if uh, if you get a little satisfaction knowing that that you were part of a, a a group that sort of paved the way for what's now pretty common. Yeah, man. Like I think it's uh, I think it's great. You know, I see these guys raising the bar. Even you know they're doing stuff that I could never do, um, probably at the, and especially at this point. Um, sure. But you know they're raising that bar, man. And like wrestling, it's an evolution, man. Like it just it keeps evolving and uh, you know, like knowing that, and, and that's what I take pride. Like whenever people talk about their legacy, like, you know, at this point in my career, like I could step away from the ring full time now. And as long as I can still give back in some capacity, whether it's a coach or whether I'm uh, you know, I'm just passing something along to the next generation, even if I'm not wrestling, like I feel like I, I'm, I've did a good job as far as building a legacy because I was always told, man, like, you know, you want to leave the business the way you found it. And whenever I found the business, guys like Ray was opening the door for me to be able to come into WCW. And uh, I feel like it's, you know, it's where my legacy is at at this point. Like, I feel like I've opened the door for some guys that have faith that they can make it too and they can do what I was doing. Um, so I feel like I'm on the right path as far as leaving the business the way I found it. Absolutely. A thousand percent. I agree. That's a great way to end the, the, the conversation about your career and your life. Hey, best to you. And, uh, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. 
right, Tenzer. Appreciate you, buddy. Take care. So the answer to the magical question that we laid out earlier was when you get maxed on tattoos and there's no place left to get a tattoo on your body, you upgrade said tattoos. So always a way to keep upgrading and making them better, according to tattoo entrepreneur Shannon Moore. I want to thank Shannon. Fun chat. Uh, crazy about growing up uh, as young kids with the Hardys. I knew he had a background with them. I didn't realize he was hanging out with them when he was when they were 9, 10, 11 years old. So what a journey they've had together and, and what a journey he's had. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, I'll be selling them some real estate here on the beach in Tampa where it's a zillion degrees and Shannon likes it because he sweats. So uh, I want to thank him. And uh, be sure to check him out on Twitter. And uh, you can see him around all around. He wrestles all around the, the world. But uh, uh, catch him in uh, some Florida Indies here and there. I saw him in a uh, show a couple of uh, months ago. And uh, it was fun catching up with Shannon. Always fun talking. Always fun talking, telling Jimmy Hart stories as well. So want to thank Shannon. And um we are going to be back next week. Uh, right now, we are scheduled to be talking to Vampiro. Uh, so hopefully we will talk to him next week. If not, uh, we will surely down the line and uh, been lining up some, uh, some pretty cool guests uh, for the next couple of months. So stick around. And uh, like I said, be sure to download, uh, subscribe. And if you could leave a uh, review where you listen, be sure to do that as well. Until next time, I'm David Penzer, still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.